Hooray, hurrah. Once again, the smartest man in the world, Proopcast, takes to the ether from the salubious confines of the Porpoise of Fruititude. That applause you hear is for Marie Masha Yovanovitch, uh, former ambassador to Ukraine. She was at a, a jazz club in uh, Georgetown, D.C. last night going to see Arturo Sandoval. And the crowd got up and gave her a spontaneous ovation for her honesty uh-huh. and integrity and being forthright. People were so moved by her dignity and decency. She's an ambassador under three different presidents. Uh, she was born in Canada. Uh, her family moved to Connecticut. Her parents fled from Soviet Russia and the Nazis. Wow. Yeah. This Jennifer. Hi. Hi. And now she, uh, because she is obviously no longer our ambassador to Ukraine, she's uh, the State Department fellow at Georgetown University. And I love that she, after her uh, tumultuous week, went out to a jazz club where she was met with uh, adoring uh, Americans, as opposed to 45 who can't be seen anywhere he had a great weekend, too. He went to Walter Reed Hospital when he's usually golfing and eating cheeseburgers. Uh, yeah. Um, we still don't... Apparently, the story was he went for a partial physical three months ahead of time. Oh, my God. That's so polar. On a Saturday. Yeah. A partial physical... With no are, notice. Uh, you know, being a middle-aged white guy, I can tell you that partial physicals are some of the most exciting <laughs> medical procedures a man can get. And by the way, the music you're listening to is Arturo Sandoval, because that's who Ambassador Yovanovitch was out to dig. Very cool. He toured with Dizzy Gillespie in the 80s uh, and early 90s and uh, defected from Cuba, I think, in 1990. He's 70 now, and he's touring. Oh, yeah. And playing in Georgetown. Mm-hmm. And Ambassador Ivanovich goes to see him. At the Blues Alley. We didn't get to see Arturo Sandoval. Sadly, we don't have an Arturo Sandoval story because we were out of town when he was playing at the, um, at the um, Catalina here in Los Angeles. Uh, yeah. His story alone. I think I saw him with Dizzy Gillespie in San Francisco, uh, though, in I 1990. Said, I want to say he was uh, uh, he was a trumpeter for Dizzy that year because he wrote a song that's on one of his albums called I Miss You Every Day It Is. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the greatest hits. And by the way, in case you want to know what jam this is, it's... Um, Caprichosos de la Habana. But there's a lot of swinging cuts. Yeah. Uh, Arturo Sandoval um, is a trumpeter. And uh, as Jennifer said, he defected, born in Cuba in 49, defected with Dizzy's band. I don't think anything's hipper than defecting when you're in Dizzy's Gillespie's right? band. Right, and what great taste does Marie Ivanovich have? I'm digging it. I'm all right? about Latin jazz. In fact, let's just try this cut on. This one's called Funky Cha-Cha off Hot House. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you could see what I'm wearing right now, ladies and gentlemen, because I've got headdress on with full of feathers and rhinestones all over my breasts, and I do have enormous male breasts. They're beautiful. I have no pants on, but I have one of those beady things hanging down in between it. Woo! Is it getting hot in here, or is it just me? Oh, my God. I'm so warm. Funky Chacha, by the way, was my um, dancer name all through high school. Really? Yeah, that's what they called me in San Carlos. We have a very, very hot Latin community in California called San Carlos. And um, us San Carlos, we would get out and dance uh, at our high school. As you know, our mascot was the Dons, who were the Spanish you landowners. I've been to San Carlos with you. Well, then you know. <laughs> How muy tropical San Carlos is. <laughs> Vestiges of our Spanish heritage were everywhere. All you had to do was cross a vacant lot to see a Taco Bell rapper, and I mean it. 
What a great week for democracy. Um, a mystery trip to Walter Reed Hospital on a Saturday with no explanation like it was Russia in the 80s or even Russia now or even more accurately, North Korea now where yeah. no truth ever comes out of the government. No, he just he just needed to get a partial physical. It wasn't oh. it wasn't maybe chest pains and a, a and, and well it was unscheduled. So it obviously uh, an emergency. Between Ivanovich's testimony. Which, by the way, she defied the White House by testifying. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. I mean, and she testified before all three House committees and then before uh, in, in public, where she also received a standing ovation. And by the way, this whole nonsense, uh, yeah, she received a standing ovation for her, um, pub, her testimony in front of the Intel Committee. All the nonsense from... Uh, um, Elise, uh, oh golly, I'm, I'm just Stefanik. You know, Elise Stefanik and, and Nunes and Jordan about it being secret and all that. It's not secret at all. The testimonies they do behind closed doors are in front of all the members of the committees. So all the Republicans are there as well and but have they, every chance to question them. They have nothing. And so they're pretending that Schiff is shutting them down when they're just breaking rules that they themselves set. For the Benghazi hearing. Mm-hmm. The rules that uh, you saw Stefanik get slapped down by um, the Chairman Schiff when he said um, the chair does not recognize the gentlewoman. And she said, I'm a duly elected representative of Congress. Like it was, it, it all reminds me of the McCarthy hearings because um, Joe McCarthy, the uh, commie chaser in the 50s, would carry literally a briefcase full of papers that had nothing on them. And on those, he had said that everyone was a red or a communist, that was, and he was going to name names. He never named the names, and he would always yell point of order at the top of his voice, and then I'm a duly elected member of Congress and all that. Until, as Hillary pointed out, Margaret Chase Smith, the Republican from Maine, and the first elected woman Republican in the Senate, met him on the, uh, in the hallway of the Senate, and he said to her, um, I heard you're going to give a speech, and she said, yeah, and you're not going to like it. Mm-hmm. And uh, she started the, roll, the ball rolling with the Republicans when they finally found their integrity to chase McCarthy out. And then, of course, he died in ignominy, which was awesome. Well, Coretta Scott King said, we have to fight for democracy every generation, and here we are. Um, Stefanik's uh, stunt was so successful that her opponent, uh, Ted Cobb, had... Uh, I think almost raised a million dollars in a day. Yeah. And uh, I think that she's going to beat her as, as uh, the great uh, comic mind, Sam Simon used to say uh, one word to the Catholic church, any publicity is good publicity. (laughs) (laughs) One word to Elise Stefanik, any Twitter feed is good Twitter feed. You humiliated yourself in front of everyone. You're from a bubble, uh, a congressional district in New York that can go either way. And then everybody saw you lie. And then when they gave Yovanovitch a hand at the end of the day, I don't know if you caught Stefanik's face. She mm-hmm. made a terrible sourpuss face. Mm-hmm. Uh, Turner wasn't uh, kept yelling. He wanted to keep talking. There's another McCarthy moment. The hearing I was, it was over. Nunes. Nunes. No. It had been gaveled out, and they were still screaming that they wanted to be heard. Well, th- their counsel, Stephen Castor, <gasps> and yeah, exactly. You almost did a spit take. <laughs> and it got all over my beads. I just got Coca Cola <laughs> on my feathers. <laughs> Stephen Castor was the worst lawyer I have ever seen. Yeah, he slumped in his chair at the end. Oh, yeah. He he really had had nothing to go on because, um, obviously, this was a a beloved uh, figure, uh, someone who has been uh, a public servant since 1986. Uh, She has an impeccable record, and they know that they don't have anything... They don't have a legal case. No, and and Jim Jordan was just yelling as as is his want. Uh, Jim Jordan had the quote of the week. 
on the day that Roger Stone and Hooray, uh, I uh, turned down be, uh, doing Politico, a panel at Politico two years ago with Roger Stone. You mean Politicon. Politicon. Politico, Politicon, same bloody difference. Uh, Politicon is that a circus that they have every year. This year they had it, it in is Nashville. A circus. Where they try to go, oh, both sides are equal and we're going to give air to both sides. But really, it was a bunch of scary Nazis going to all the Nazi events and it was a bunch of nice people going to the nice events. Well, the one in Pasadena was so, so uh, scary that two people of color actually oh, hired was. Uh, what's Malcolm Nance and Joy Reid hired local police officers off duty to to escort them because they from. were being threatened so it was much. it was awful and then I did an Ann Coulter panel which I uh, I took that instead of the Roger Stone panel you guys I want you to understand what they offered me they offered me a Roger Stone panel and an Ann Coulter panel no one would take either panel I refused the Roger Stone one on the grounds that like Paul Manafort and to quote Charles Pierce, who writes so brilliantly for Esquire, he's one of the great rat fucks in American political history. These are evil people mm-hmm. who do evil, racist, horrible, contrived things. Uh, Roger Stone, in the service of himself, um, obviously Orange 45, um, his hero's Nixon. He has Nixon tattooed on his back now. That's going to go over well in prison. I was going to say, you know what? The hand, the ones they do by hand in prison uh, that they're going to do, on, they're going to have to do a handheld Trump one, don't you think? <laughs> He was just, uh, on the same day as uh, Marie Yovanovitch was testifying, he was uh, convicted on all seven counts, including lying to Congress. And at the end of that day, and at the end of Yovanovitch's testimony, and her getting a standing ovation as she left, and Stone being convicted, Jim Jordan went in front of the mics and said, I think it's been a good day for Donald Trump, for the White House. I think he said, great day. Great day. Unbelievable. And by the way, Manafort worked for the dictator of Ukraine that was deposed, the one that they're all talking about, mm-hmm. that Zelensky replaced. Yes. So this whole we're fighting corruption thing, that other through line narrative that you're trying to push forward, one that it's been secret hearings, two that you if you haven't read the transcript, you don't know what you're talking about. We all read the transcript. They mm-hmm. released it. And three, that they were fighting corruption. They were trying to bring the corruption back. Paul Manafort had to leave along with his dictator, Mm -hmm. so that he could seek the protection of Putin. And then carried on, if you'll pardon the expression, um, screwing the pooch with us all the way through the election Mm -hmm. and cabaling um, Mm -hmm. with bad guys in the Ukraine. And Roger Stone uh, was the connection to WikiLeaks. Roger Stone was the connection to WikiLeaks and was in a firm with Paul Manafort for years. Yes. So they're yes. really bad guys. And yes, I, there's photos of them uh, in, in the early 70s together in, in an office. And the great thing about both of them is Paul Manafort's in federal jail for seven years and Roger Stone soon will be. Mm-hmm. We all remember the pre-dawn raid on his house because I was playing in Fayetteville, Arkansas with the guys. And we got up early morning to leave for our next gig, which was in Tennessee. And as I came down to the lobby, CNN was showing the Roger Stone bust live at dawn at dawn with mm-hmm. the cops in the dark running into his house grabbing mm-hmm. all his stuff grabbing his computers and that was when spring of this year the uh, telling thing was that it, he, he, he was always a blowhard always a, a self-promotional clown and when he came out of the court Friday he was quiet chastened yeah um, he was he broke so many orders to not talk during his trial he always spoke publicly. He uh, called um, Candace Aston, who's a, a, a fine member of the resistance and tweets under the name RVA Wonk. He wrote her the most vile tweet mm-hmm. um, that called her terrible names. And then 
she retweeted it on the day he was convicted, and I wrote her congratulations. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people were pretty gleeful. Yeah, I wrote congratulations, day. and she It's wrote, a long time coming. Yeah, it's been a good day. <laughs> and I was like, um, roll away the stone. Um, he's a really bad guy. These are bad guys. They don't want democracy to live. They yeah. want to cabal and lie behind closed doors. As we've discussed on the show before, their capacity for understanding honest people and the honest motivation of honest people to do things with integrity is beyond them, and it mm -hmm. makes them angry. Mm -hmm. Yovanovitch had worked for Republican and Democratic presidents. Avs had a, a Taylor and in Kent. And by the way, uh, the CNN bio on her, it says, she understood that corruption was the Achilles heel, so to speak, of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. No one knew it better than her. <laughs> so... Yeah, and, and that is why they ha she had to be removed. Uh, it's, and the State Department official said, and so, Masha, by doubling down on corruption and making it kind of her leitmotif of her tenure as ambassador was doing exactly what she should have been doing and what U.S. policy has been in Ukraine for quite some time. Well, let's go even further, because she is a right um, gal, as they say. Uh, the day that she was removed was the day that she was giving an award to the father of a corruption fighter in the Ukraine, uh, it was the Woman of the Year Award, was right. it not? She was honoring the woman that who had been killed in an acid attack, and uh, was she was uh, basically ordered to leave at one in the morning mm -hmm. that night. And uh, I believe the threat was uh, if she didn't leave, some things things were going to happen. Or she's going to go through some things. So she's going to go through some things, and she said it shook her to the core. Well, yeah, it's terrifying. Changed her color, and she also said, "I'm aware that." The president, because that's this keep this kept coming up because the Republican clown uh, car had nothing. They kept saying that ambassadors serve at the pleasure of the president and they can be fired at any time. Well, that's of course true, but she said, "I understand that I serve at the pleasure of the president. I don't understand why they had to try to destroy my reputation." I don't think she used the words that the you know that she, didn't she say could destroy. be removed. Yeah, but why did he have to smear? Her reputation. Because that's, he's a low rent mobster, mobbed up, uh, a real estate well, and money with a, laundering with a creep. particular loathing for uh, successful women. Yep. Well, you notice that he didn't slam um, Candon Taylor, who also worked in Ukraine, the way he did Yovanovitch. He mm -hmm. absolutely tweeted and tampered with Witness on the day, which was read out to her in live time by Schiff. Um, because he can't resist being the misogynist Abusive. that he is. And uh, he tweeted abuse today at uh, Jennifer Williams, who's going to testify tomorrow uh, publicly. And she is has been referred to as an aide to Pence, but she's actually the State Department advisor on Russia and Ukraine right. to Pence. She's a special who advisor. Who was chosen by Pence, Ooh. by the way. Oh, just like Taylor was brought out of retirement, they they actually chose these people who they are now pretending to loathe. None of them are Obama appointments. No. Um, my understanding is 45's furious with Pompeo, who's the supposed Secretary of State, because all these people are testifying against him. Well, they're being honest. They're doing what their duty requires. They all swore an oath to uphold the Constitution. Who knew? Right. And Pompeo hasn't been there's not been hide or hair of him. He hasn't said a word about this, which means he is he already was, but he's officially the worst secretary of state of all time. He should have come out and said something about her 
than mm-hmm. protected her, mm-hmm. and he should have protected. Um, no, that's pretty shocking. Well, it just proves that he's as involved in this as any well, any of them are. Barr. Well, you know, you mentioned Coretta Scott King earlier. We'll get to Barr in one second. You yeah. mentioned Coretta <laughs> Scott King earlier. Coretta Scott King was the one who wrote a letter uh, to the state of Alabama saying that if Jeff Sessions um, took office there, that he willfully and uh, maliciously was one of the most racist people she'd ever yes, known. Yes. And really she did everything she could to keep him out of office. And when Coretta Scott King writes a letter saying you're a racist, you're a racist. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to, you know, color it too hard there. In any case, Sessions is going to run for Senate um, back in Alabama again, the seat that he gave up to be uh, the attorney general. And he's been groveling um, and saying that because he was the first senator, and there's no question of that, to support 45. But he's been groveling it. Um, in his ads and saying how much he really loves 45 and 45 unceremoniously fired him and was furious at him for recusing himself from the Russia investigation at the outset because Sessions did the one right thing Sessions did that was the right thing to do was not be in charge of that, which is why right. we ended up with a, a broad. There, uh, there were still some ru- rules in place and, and, you know, going by the current uh, election scoreboard, maybe Sessions doesn't want. 45's approval. Oh, let's go into the good yes. news, shall we? Yes, Louisiana. Please. Well, first of all, um, there's, uh, according to Ashton Pittman, who's quite good, he writes for the Jackson Free Press. Um, in Mississippi, they picked up another uh, state delegate. No, they did. And I'm trying to find that. Go ahead. Take your Um, There it is. Uh, Democrat Shonda Yates, she defeated the incumbent, Bill Denny, who has been, who's had the seat since 1987. He's been defeated by a young woman. And she, so that's for the Mississippi House uh, District 64. Awesome. And then in addition... I guess, you know, these were votes that were tallied uh, over the weekend. Hester Jackson McRae won as the first black woman elected in a majority white district in DeSoto County, um, Mississippi. The voter turnout jumped by a third. Well, he's motivating people to vote. Right. You you gotta give him that. And and he actually... uh, uh, Ashton Pittman said 45's visit boosted Democratic turnout by 12%. Democrats won some counties for the first time in decades. Isn't that amazing? Because they wanted to write that off as a big Republican win because the the Republican governor was real, not reelected. Bryant was out. But they got a new Republican governor in Mississippi. But you have to know that they have... Terrible draconian um, race race laws there still about well, how, how they the can districting th- is yeah. is uh, and voter suppression are all of a part and that brings me to to the Louisiana election which was uh, such a relief after forty five went and had his rally there and yelled about how the Republicans would lower their car insurance right. if they voted for their, their car insurance <laughs> that's all he had and. Uh, so and he actually said on the night that it it would be a personal win for him if the Republican governor was elected. Well, that didn't happen and Bella Edwards was the first Democrat to be reelected governor uh in a long time. 
Yeah, having back-to-back Democratic governors in Louisiana, especially uh, coming off the back of Bobby Jindal, who was oh one of the worst God. governors in the United States. 40 years. He's the first Democrat years. to be re-elected in 40 years. 90% of New Orleans went Bill Edwards. Um, That's a pretty intimidating number. Right? And it was really on the basis of expanding Medicare. Yep. And one of the very important reasons that the voter turnout was so big was because since he's been governor, those who have been paroled and on probation can vote. And that meant 36,000 people were able to vote who couldn't vote before. And Bell Edwards won by 40,000 votes. Interestinger and interestinger. So to recap, a Democratic governor mm-hmm. who reinstated In people's... In the deep south. Right, the deepest south of yeah. people's ability to vote who had been imprisoned. Mm-hmm. And reinstating them back on the voter rolls... Um, which they did in Florida mm-hmm. as well, or tried to do. Um, it, it also, that election, uh, they won some Democrats in the state legislature. So there's no Republican majority, so they can't veto Bell Edwards going forward, which is huge. And the three big agendas, the two big agendas he has, are to expand Medicaid and health care in Louisiana, which is, as you know, uh, in terrible need of it, and to carry on with this program of repatriating prisoners are right. two of his big agenda items. And, and they desperately need uh, criminal justice reform in Louisiana. They have one of the worst prisons, if not the worst prison in the United they States. They do. Now, a small word. He's a right-wing Democrat, as Democrats go. He is what they call a red state Democrat, uh-huh. a blue dog. Um, much like uh, 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 Manchin, the senator from West Virginia, um, Simina, the uh, senator from uh, uh, Arizona, um, they, have to, they embrace some... Things that we don't as well, our progressive not, Democrats. He's not pro-choice, and it's That's horrible. That's getting. But he, it, it, the difference between the Republican candidate and him is vast. Also, he, the Republican responsee or whatever was just a rich guy who repeated uh, Make America Great talking points. He really didn't know anything about anything. No. He was a terrible candidate. Yes. Um, Bashir, who beat Bevan, they kept saying, well, Bevan was vulnerable because nobody liked him. Um, if, you, if nobody likes you, you're vulnerable. I mean, I, that, that talking point doesn't even make sense to me. That's like saying everyone hated him, so no wonder he lost. 45 rallied as hard as he could for Bevan in Kentucky and for Responsi in uh, uh, Louisiana. He came to Lu- Louisiana three times, and I didn't realize he also did a bunch of radio appearances, TV appearances. He he really... He did radio ads and TV ads. Oh, well. yeah. He went all out, and this was a, a huge response against him. I mean, people, the voter turnout was up in Louisiana... And- too. What was yeah the voter turnout in Kentucky the voter turnout in Mississippi uh-huh. so to recap ever so briefly Mississippi flipped a bunch of Democratic seats the governor of Louisiana was reelected as a Democrat for the first time in forty years they took over the House which means they can enact their legislation and it, they didn't take over the House they don't the Republicans don't have the majority, majority in order to veto uh, and uh, and the state of Kentucky got a Democratic governor and elected their first Black Attorney General who happens to be a Republican and Ryan. Virginia flipped both houses their upper and lower and state houses huge. blue. So they have a, a Democratic governor, a Democratic lieutenant governor, both of whom, <clears throat> and then they have a Democratic House. Uh, what, is, what is their other one called? The uh, are they Commons or delegates? They're they're not. A, they don't have a Senate and a, a House. They exactly. Have a, they they have. Delegates. They're a House of Delegates, is yes. it? Yes. Uh-huh. Um, because they're not a state. They're a they're Commonwealth. Commonwealth. Yeah. Uh, in any case, look at all that. That's just happened in the last two mm-hmm. weeks. This was. 
predicted by all the pundits on cable TV, this, not, this wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, looking t- the 2018 midterms right square in the eye and saying that that cataclysmic tidal wave of change that started with the Women's March a month after the first woman was denied office um, isn't a fact. But now we know it's all facts. If for you to do that poorly in Mississippi in the middle of all this when Hitler's well, and how, endorsing you. How exciting that a, a, a young white woman and a, a, a young African-American woman won their delegate seat or state uh, representative seats in Mississippi, in Mississippi. of all places yes. against uh, men who'd been in office for forever. Mm-hmm. And Matt Bevan, um, the reason why he was unpopular in Kentucky is he's a terrible governor. Um, healthcare in Kentucky is a shambles, much like Scott Walker in Wisconsin. They tried to recall Walker, then he won a re-election. He dismantled education. Look at Kentucky, Louisiana, and Mississippi on the big chart of where they stand uh, nationally in healthcare education. Oh my God. Uh, they're all three at the is very often bottom. at the uh, yeah. 50th. Yeah. And, but, and speaking of Mississippi, Mike Espy is once again going to run for Senate. And it's huge because uh, he narrowly missed. Uh, being elected. He ran against Cindy Hyde Smith, and uh, he was Secretary of Agriculture under Clinton. He was uh, three times voted in as the representative for Mississippi, and that meant that he was the first African-American since the Reconstruction to be voted to a national office. Um, Cindy Hyde Smith last week was uh, voting down gun restrictions as there was the incident shooting incident at the high school in Santa Clarita. Yeah, down here. Santa Clarita is um, just above Los Angeles. Jennifer and I drive through there. When well, we... it was Katie Hills. Right. It's a, it's the part of the, the high desert. Uh, uh, and that we often... On the edge of the Mojave. Right. We stopped there uh for Mexican food on our way to San Francisco quite often. Delicious Mexican it's, food. It's a, it's a lovely place, and it's, uh, I say, about an hour north of here. Yeah. So the, on the day of the it's shooting... It's in L.A. County. It, yeah. On the day of the shooting, Chris Murphy um, from Connecticut was um, giving an impassioned speech on the floor about resurrecting the, um, the background check bill. Uh-huh. And um, that's when Cindy Hyde-Smith succeeded him on the floor and shut it down. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's uh, absolutely on orders from uh, Mitch McConnell and the head of the you know the Republican cabal, Cindy Hyde Smith. You may also remember went to an awesome segregated high school yep. and was pretty excited about that. So Mike Espy is an African American and he is running against her next year. Also Jamie Harrison, who is African American, he's forty three. He is running against Lindsey Graham. He's running to replace Lindsey Graham. He's uh, he was mentored by Representative Jim Clyburn, mm-hmm. and he's chair of the South Carolina Democrats. He's the associate chairman of the DNC, and uh, he is steadfast in his, taking his Democratic case to the Senate. And I think that he can win his seat in. Uh, Lindsey Graham. You better check in with Chuck Todd about that, Jennifer. You know, there's going to be some big doubts about women and black people winning office. Uh, very difficult for them to do. It's they just might not be popular. overprepared. Mm, just a little. Speaking of overprepared, uh, Kamala won the endorsement of the United Farm Workers and Higher Heights. And uh, she was at the Latin uh, Democratic Conference this weekend in Long Beach. 
And meanwhile, uh, Tom Steyer's aide downloaded Kamala's South Carolina voter info, and one of his aides was caught offering money for endorsements in Iowa. Yeah, that was super rowdy. So on top of it, according to MSNBC, Kamala has received three percent of the coverage in cable news. Why do we talk about this? It's not only because she's my favorite candidate, but she's the only black woman running. How important this is, is that? It's so important. In Higher Heights, which represents 90,000 black women, and and uh, their role is trying to get black women in uh, elected, uh, and they endorsed her, and they're having a a Black Women Weekend of Action with Kamala as the guest this this week. Yeah, that's right. It starts on Thursday in Atlanta. Um, there's going to be a power breakfast with Tiffany Cross. Um, then they're going to have another event. And let's see who's at that one. It's, there's this um, Congresswoman Brenda Lawrence and um, the actress Cheryl Lee Ralph are going to be there. But they've just really been skewed on cable uh, and uh, newspaper coverage. Mm -hmm. They can't give enough um, airtime to the rich white guys. And Tom Steyer, I heard described on Twitter this morning as the man who absolutely no one wanted to run. And he's cheating and he's being bullied. He could have used his money to support another candidate. Why is Michael Bloomberg running? He actually apologized yesterday. Stop and frisk. Which is aimed directly. You don't think that black women who, yeah. It's so inconceivably racist. So. Um, also, uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, uh, he offered a plan this week that used stock photos of a woman from Kenya. That's how much they're reaching out to black people. I am sorry. It's and, not, and Elizabeth Warren, uh, she had 104 random black people supporting her this the day after the Higher Heights endorsement of Kamala. Um, on Wednesday, a bill that Kamala Harris and Jerry Nadler have worked on to decriminalize weed and expunge convictions is going before the House. Yeah. And that's that's a big thing that needs to happen. Now, the, the white candidates are getting an undue amount of press and everything they do is news, whereas uh, they seem to be shutting down Castro, Booker, and Harris as hard as humanly possible. And Julian Castro... Uh, such a beautiful person. He he uh, escorted uh, a man to his ICE hearing the other day. Yeah. I mean, he, he rode he's the bus working. With them. Yeah, he's working so hard, and and he's the only one talking about the primaries are racist. Why are we having a, a the, one of the first primaries in Iowa? Jennifer, um, your high peeping, shrill uterus bearing voice is going right through me like a buzz song. We put rules in place some time ago. And Julian doesn't didn't qualify for the, the no, next debate. No, he's not going to be there. But Steyer's going to be there. are nonsense. And Tulsi. I mean, it's just nonsense. You and Yang. Get, I mean, I'm going to know. Next thing you know, you're going to want there to be more senators in the states with more people. And then you're going to want things like the Supreme Court to be, oh, you know, half women. I, and I won't have it. Um, I, I think you're getting crazy here. We've got to gradually, incrementally never do anything to the point where we don't do anything. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of terrible systemic things that are just unshockingly awful. Um, Well, I think we need a a new head of the DNC. And, you know, just a fun fact, Kamala Harris in her last election won uh, 7.5 million votes. Uh, Mayor Pete won 8,000. Right, and I, I, Massachusetts, I'm assuming, it was not a 7 million vote. Uh, no, 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 no. She, she's, by, and if you're talking about 
legislative um, competence. Uh, Amy Klobuchar has uh, the most effective legislative history, and Biden. Yeah. Um, at the very bottom, Bernie and Tulsi. Yep. Unbelievable. Yeah. That's a magnificence. Uh, if you want to get the incompetent people out of Congress, as you can see, it's not easy to do, but it's something that we can do. In the midterm in 2018, 100 women went to Congress, and that's never happened before. In these three little off-year elections, we've seen a, almost a tidal wave of change in the South. And when I'm not overemphasizing it, I'm not making too much of it. Part of it is the corruption and horror of what the GOP is doing in um, the Senate and the White House and the Supreme Court has galvanized people. Mm-hmm. And we know now that the ballot box is a really strong way to strike back. Um, Jim Jordan, who you saw this week in his usual um, unbelievably disco sexy no jacket, um, I'm going to comb my hair forward, I'm, I'm going to look real sweaty on my upper lip so no human will ever come near me. He looks like he's been crying in a basement for a week. Right? Something awful happened. Well, something awful happened. He was uh, a second uh, accuser came forward this last oh, yeah. week and said that he... He went to Jim Jordan at OSU and said that he had seen sexual abuse happen, and Jim Jordan just responded with, oh, yeah. And to give you an idea of how awesome uh, the merit program is uh, in the Republican Party, uh, on the day that that news broke was the day that Kevin McCarthy, um, the Senate, I mean, the uh, congressional minority leader from right here in California, um, appointed Jim Jordan to the Intel Committee because they thought he would be a better advocate Amazing. for 45 than anyone else. They ended up with Castor, Nunes, him, and Stefanik. Stefanik was probably the smartest of the bunch, but that's like saying this grape tasted slightly less awful than the other rotten ones. I thought she just seemed like a, a female Jim Jordan. Yep, shouty. With nothing. I mean, when you say you're a duly elected official over and over, are you on a deputy dog program here? Yeah. What's happening? I mean, what level of government are we talking about here? You can't keep... It's like Kenny on South Park or whatever. You'll respect my authority. Uh, Jim Jordan um, is... a not a very nice human being. His district in Ohio is so gerrymandered that when you look at it, it looks like an oscillating cosine. It's like a readout when you... Right, or, it's a pretzel. Yeah, it's, 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 it looks like a, a, um, a, the Richter scale during an earthquake. Um, the person running against him is Shannon Freshour, and she's running to represent... It's the 4th Congressional District. She's at Shannon4OH, and um, on Twitter, it's at Shannon Freshour. It's spelled Fresh. Fresh Hour. So it's S-H-A-N-N-O-N-F-R-E-S-H-O-U-R. And you can go to her website.com and give to her there. Um, She's pro-choice. She's pro-Medicare. She's pro-healthcare. That's crazy. You know, I I love Ohio. And we play there (laughs) as much as we play anywhere. And we play Columbus, Toledo, um, Sensei, um, whatnot, um, Cleveland. And uh, I happen to know people from Cleveland, and I, I trust them, some of them. Uh, but driving through central Ohio and the back parts of Ohio, which is what we do to get to these places, we don't always take the freeway. Um, I see more Confederate flags there than I do in Dixie. It's pretty surprising. People think, and they denigrate constantly, the, the Deep South, and they need to look uh, a little further afield. The Midwest, um, there's real scary parts of it where it, it, it's it's like that. It's just it, it just is. You see an American flag, an American flag, and then all of a sudden a Confederate flag. And having driven across South Carolina, North Carolina, Alabama, 
um, Georgia all in the last year, two years, a bunch of times, and Kentucky and Oklahoma, mm -hmm. there's more Confederate flags in Ohio. Isn't that interesting? It's really wild to me because... Well, I, I, I'm sure you would find uh, more hate groups in Idaho, for instance. There's also been more, and I hate this word, uh, but it's true, a pushback against Confederate flags in the South. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. South Carolina doesn't allow it to fly down their state house anymore. They had the slave flag for the longest time. Um, and they're more sensitive to it because, well, I, I you know, that, New Orleans, they took down all the Confederate monuments and whatnot. Right. Landrew uh, was behind that. And it's, but Ohio it only has, has happen. Ohio only has Union um, Army monuments. You know what I mean? They don't have slave state monuments all over their state. Cleveland's full of gigantic statues of Civil War heroes who are all from the Union. But I think it's, it's also we as a nation pretend that this this hate and this history resides in the deep south only well as, you know yeah. and, and these other states somehow get a pass don't have to examine don't have to police it don't have to act on it and a lot of people from kentucky and other states have moved to ohio yeah uh, we, we're from the oh-so-liberal Bay Area, and now we live in the oh-so-liberal um, Fortress of Fruititude here in the liberal enclave just outside of Lower California. And uh, the Bay Area and, and Lower California are, are super segregated. You don't – the mixing is, is not like it is in other places. Um, and I say that uh, people from Northern California are lovely – and open-minded, and when you go to all the rich places, it's very, very white, and mm -hmm. they make sure of that. Mm -hmm. And so it's a different kind of apartheid. It's a, it's a kind well, that's of... why you have horrible things happen, like a woman uh, calling the cops on a barbecue in Oakland. Yep. Barbecue Becky. Yeah. yeah. Or um, the police shooting a man in his backyard on the phone in Sacramento. Yes. Um, and Sacramento is the capital of our beloved Golden State. Um, we have issues, and we have lots of problems. And uh, I was just about to jump back on the Kamala Chichu there for a second, <laughs> because she's the kind of prosecutor that really, really her. endeavored to make California a more fair yes, place. Yes, she did. And so, by the way, marijuana convictions went way down when yes. she was AG. The Kamala is a cop thing, you have to understand, is a weaponized so Russian. So racist. It's a weaponized. Yeah. I mean, Klobuchar is a prosecutor. Yeah. And uh, Adam Schiff. Uh, we celebrate the fact that Adam Schiff is all about justice and, and, and getting the criminal, but not when it comes to her. No, there's lots of prosecutors, and many of them do quite a good job. And then many of them are um, scarily recidivist, like your Rudy Giuliani, who was known at one point um, in the SDNY as uh, vociferous. Uh, chaser down of, always known as racist always racist uh but he wasn't known as a, a lunatic always there was a, there was a brief period of time where i guess white people convinced themselves he wasn't amy mcgrath is running against um uh, moscow mitch mcconnell down in the in the wonderful bluegrass state of kentucky where we just was and um amy mcgrath's a veteran and she's also an open-minded person who wants to expand um health care Mitch McConnell has taken Kentucky and driven the economy into the ground. Mm -hmm. um, they're kind of a flourishing state. They should have a lot more going on. There's parts of Kentucky that you drive through. There's no Internet at all. And that's down to his crappy vision of just taking money from rich people there. He's done a lot of backroom deals with his wife, Chow, uh, Lane Chow, who's the um, 
uh, Secretary of Transportation. Mm-hmm. Um, they've done big mega deals. His his personal wealth has grown enormously in the last twenty years, and I've been to Kentucky three or four times in the last year, and it's a beautiful place. And they need a chance, but like West Virginia, I feel like they're just being stomped on by rich idiots mm-hmm, who mm-hmm. Uh, funnel all the money elsewhere, and then have convinced everybody that these abstract issues like. Um, the unborn and these weird enemies that are somehow going to come and take your stuff away who who don't exist. Um, there are no vast armies of immigrants coming to America that are going to Kentucky to take jobs. I guarantee you that. And I'm not a conspiracy person, but I guarantee that. Um, One thing that sticks with me about West Virginia is when we went to the women's clinic there, the social worker um, getting teary-eyed about uh, providing basic needs for her pregnant clients and people need to understand that when when they vilify whole states, that there's there are people that don't have the means to move. They are stuck there, and women in West Virginia, and this is in the city that, that we were in the, uh, uh, the we were in the capital. Yeah, in the capital, Wheeling, Charleston. Oh, Charleston's the capital. Yeah, we were in the capital because I've been to Huntington as well. Um, it, it, we were in the capital. People in that city did not have rides to clinics. They had no way to get to a clinic. They were pregnant. They didn't have toothbrushes. They didn't have diapers. No, they did they didn't have soap and shampoo. If, if you feel like giving money to the Women's uh, Health Center, is what it's called in West Virginia, we celebrate that. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's important to remember. And that, that's why boycotting states to me always seems like a fruitless activity. I'd rather go to the state, give them some money, cheer some people up, Stir also, up some shit and do what you can. they're not alone. It's really important. It, it is. It is yeah. massively important to, to acknowledge and to recognize people. Do you want to care? What do you got there? Well, I was either going to talk about uh, Booker T. Jones, or do you want me to talk about it? Was the uh, anniversary of Ruby Bridges going to school? And I okay. Uh, Ruby Bridges, uh, she's only sixty-five years old, and she's in. She lives in New Orleans. Let's talk about what she did. Well, I was just going to say, <laughs> November fourteenth, nineteen sixty, she was the first black child to attend an all-white school in Louisiana. She had to be escorted by federal marshals. The entire time, there were white mobs rioting. She was escorted by federal marshals. I didn't know this part. Every day of that first school year. And she was the only... She was six years six old. Six years old. Every teacher in the school refused to teach her except one. Yeah. So one white lady... And that, that woman's name was Barbara Henry, and they were uh, lifelong friends. And she said that she was lovely to her, and some days uh, played with her because Ruby was ended up as the only student at the school. All the white parents pulled their kids out of the school. She was the only student for an entire year... And yet she went every day. She ate her lunch alone, and she went every day. She managed, uh, I mean, I I just can't believe. Imagine that trauma. She went to William France Elementary School. Uh And uh, there's a famous Norman Rockwell painting, of all things. Uh, His his, uh, paintings are seldom uh, with this content. And it's called The Problem We uh, We All Have. And... She's in her immaculate outfit with, she had a plaid uh, mm-hmm. school uh, valise and her little Mary Janes and her anklets and 
in the background of the painting, it's uh, someone's thrown tomatoes yeah, at the wall. That's the part I remember. And there's four uh, uh, policemen, Officers, federal agents, yeah, walking yeah. her. Well, this woman is so strong that she. Uh, there it is. She founded the the Ruby Bridges Foundation to promote tolerance and create change through education. And in case you think this is ancient history and that 1960 is so long ago and everything's different, I was born in 1959. She's five years older She's than 65 me. She's 65 years old. Yeah. She lives in New Orleans with her husband and her children. Um, what a beautiful person that she was able to come through that. And uh, by the way, her mom also was with her on the walk to school. I just can't believe how brave they were Mm-mm. and how awful awful people were to, to, to try to keep to scare a six-year-old who wants to learn yep there's no uh, depth uh, to that and it's just a part of human character that we have to fight against all the time and try to give help people out and give voice be, try to be the nice teacher try not to be part of the mob that's screaming at a child because you're angry that's um, my advice for the day <laughs> um you're going to Memphis. So yeah. uh, I, I was looking at Booker T. Jones because we were talking about stacks last time. And he has a memoir out. And uh, he's also on the road, which is just beautiful. He's 75 years old. His memoir is called Time is Tight. It's supposed to be really good. Each chapter is based is uh, about each song. Um, he said Memphis is a breeding ground for music and... It's the most segregated city in the South. Unbelievable. And we were talking about how Stax had musicians, white, black, in the same band. It was a big deal. Black and white executives? Um, Like Motown? Right, right. Um, He's at the, uh, in two nights time, he's at the D.C. City Winery. You know, we missed him when he was here last year with the MGs. Yeah. And Cropper was in the band still. Yep, yep. Because... Uh, I I was ill or we were out of town. You had or something. just had an operation. Oh, that's right. I couldn't I couldn't go, but uh, we really wanted to see uh, Booker T and the MGs, and, and they're still out on the road. This version, this is like this. Oh, I guess it kicks in. I'm gonna I'm gonna play Green Onions here for a yeah. second, and uh, will you dig on some uh, um, Booker T and the MGs? You may remember this. It's used with great effect in the movie American Graffiti right before the drag race. It's also awesome to watch the evolution of their fashion. <laughs> In the early part, uh, uh, th- there's more pompadours and button-down suits, and then it gets groovier uh-huh. in the 60s, and then Booker T starts wearing There's going like, to be some mock turtlenecks. Oh, loads and white suits. Oh, yeah. And then it gets kind of psychedelic. That. Yeah, it's groovy. This is what they call the Memphis sound. And... Uh, Stocks Records was uh, Soulville, and um, they had Isaac Hayes, Sam and Dave, um, Otis Redding, Claire Thomas, Otis Redding, um, the Staple Singers, which meant they had Mavis Staples. Amazing. R- Rufus Thomas, who did the Funky Chicken, which I will never get off. You were attempting the Funky Chicken earlier I, I, today. I did a primitive version of the Funky Chicken earlier today. Uh, uh, it was uh, not as amazing as my dance uh, earlier that the audience didn't get to see here's one that you'll recognize 
Yeah, this one's called Soulsville. And um, it's the amazing Isaac Hayes, who on this greatest hits collection from Stocks doesn't have a shirt on. Well, like Iggy Pop, one asks the question of Isaac Hayes. Right. Have you a shirt? His famous Oscar performance. In gold chains. Amazing. In gold chains. Not just gold chains, but like yeah. bondage chains. Yeah, yeah. It was a unbelievable, powerful statement. Yep. And everybody that was... Jennifer was too young to actually see it the first time, but everybody from my generation, we talked about nothing else at school the next day because he, as I recall, rose up from the stage with like special effects and he had no shirt and gold chains rolling down his body and he played Shaft and it was sensational. We're going to go when we go to Memphis, we'll be there on Thursday at the, oh my God, the name of the auditorium is so good. Normally I wouldn't bother and go back, but it... I was looking at it this morning, and I've forgotten it now, of course. Where we're playing in Memphis, I want to say it's called, like, the Make Me Feel Good Auditorium or something. <laughs> uh, that's this Thursday. Uh, me, Dave Foley, he's a powerful puffin from Penguinville, although now this week we're going to call him a pint-sized biscuit bite um, <laughs> because we're in Memphis. Uh, let's see here. Look at the name of that venue. Really? Minglewood Hall. Really? I want y'all to come to all y'all to come down to Minglewood Hall because we're gonna mingle. That's so cute, isn't it? Uh, we'll be in Memphis on Thursday. Uh, Wednesday we'll be uh, coming into Memphis. Uh, we're gonna go to the Stax Volt Museum and we're gonna go to the yes, Civil please. Rights Museum at the Lorraine Hotel. Oh my God, which, which is, is very close by. We've been doing a lot of civil rights places as uh, on this the last few weeks of the tour: Greensboro, uh, North Carolina. Um, uh, uh, Birmingham. Birmingham, Alabama, um, and now uh, Memphis, Tennessee, and um, it, it's it's fantastic to soak up uh, the atmosphere when you're there and and to go see all the heroes because it's all brilliantly curated and if you go to these cities you can go to the Civil Rights Museum in each place mm-hmm. and really catch up. Um, so we're gonna do that and then possibly some barbecue, possibly <laughs> uh, what's the name of that diner? The Arcade. I think we might go to the Arcade. Um, there's vegan places too. We have some troublemakers in our group. What can I tell you? It's like being in Berkeley. And um, uh, then we'll be in um, Wichita, Kansas on November the 22nd. And I'm entertaining tips. Um, I know you're going to say barbecue. This is like the barbecue tour. After Memphis and Kansas, you won't be able to digest anything the rest of your life. I'm going to go to North Carolina after that and eat a hush puppy and have it lodge in my aorta until the end of time. A deep fried lard puff in Huntsville. Remember what Michael Twitty uh, taught us that... African Americans and and indigenous peoples that invented. Yeah, barbecue is all about that. I believe barbacoa is what yeah. it was. Mm. They invented it and um, they perfected it and they're still perfecting it every day. You can write me at fanmailforgreg at gmail.com. I'll read it and then I'll read it to Jennifer later. <laughs> um, November 22nd. Was that the first day of winter? Equinox? Uh, Dave Foley will be in Wichita, Kansas. Let's see the name of that auditorium. Wouldn't in case it be the 21st? It's, it's not the Minglewood. No. Is it? Oh, first day of winter is 21st? I was asking. I don't know. But the Orpheum. The good old reliable name, the Orpheum. Then the 23rd on the Saturday, again with Dave Foley, um, will be in Des Moines, Iowa at Hoyt Sherman Place, who I assume is a rich person or an artistic type uh, thing going on there. Yeah. Walk on by by Isaac Hayes. 
Normally, I would turn it off there. This version is spooky. Yeah, it's it's just a smashing. It's really uh, haunting. And then after that, uh, the kids go on the road without me. The fifth, sixth, twelfth, uh, thirteenth, uh, they'll be on the road in um, where are they? Oregon, Medford, Austin, and San Antonio. And that'll be with Ryan Stiles and Dave Foley. Um, so try to contain your disappointment. One, when you see that it's not anything that it is, like when I'm there. And two, uh, the crushing, crushing disappointment that is the genius of Ryan Styles. So uh, <laughs> uh, try to sh- keep your tears hid. We'll be in um, uh, Glasgow, London, and uh, Dublin doing the Nightmare Before Christmas on the 2nd at the Hydro in Glasgow for our Glaswegian friends. And we're looking forward to uh, uh, a couple meals in Glasgow, maybe some mm-hmm. salmon and mm-hmm. whatnot. And then, I don't think you've been to Glasgow in a while. I haven't been in a while. A long time. Uh uh, I've had such a good time there at the festival the last few times I went. I just can't I tell love you. Scotland. Oh my god! The last time I was at the festival, I was standing outside. They put me in this venue that was a first time. One time I played a church that had a pub in it, which was just like the, <laughs> the most Scottish thing in the world. Then the next time it was this concert hall that was really got awesome reception. I, people gave me tablet in the audience. Uh, well, you'll know of what that course. is if you're Scottish. It's a t- t- disappointing if you, fudge. If you, yeah, <laughs> if you were, <laughs> if you're not Scottish, it's disappointing fudge. It's not the color of fudge, but it's sort of the consistency. And then the sugar actually makes your teeth fall out of your head it, as you yeah, eat it. Yeah, it hurts. Well, what I did was, and uh, as I so often do when people bring homemade goodies. I ate the first one, and then I handed it out to the crowd, and everybody had to go at the, nice. the tablet. That was how you keep from dying. Um, and uh, afterward, I was having a chat. And mind you, we'd had a couple of drinks. It is Scotland, so a couple of drinks is like, you know, you drowned. And um, I was standing outside chatting with a Scottish bloke who I worked at the theater and I realized halfway through the conversation that I can't understand anyone in Glasgow. Not a thing they say. At one point, I found it's myself difficult. laughing mm-hmm, at places mm-hmm. I thought he was being funny. Mm-hmm. And then doing this one, mm, right? Mm-hmm. And then, <laughs> uh, uh, and like... You, I remember having a political discussion in, in Glasgow and being grilled, by the way. Mm-hmm. Remember that one? Mm-hmm. It, it was journalists there yeah. at, that, at that gathering. And I just thought, oh my God, I'm unprepared. And, uh, no one's sharper than a Glaswegian. Well, and also with the accent as well, I just thought, you know, God help me. Do you have a goal? A uh, constitution? No, you may have some soul. Oh, sorry. But you're the idiot. You just go, And you're like, I, I really... Uh, yeah. Sometimes you feel like they're taking the piss. Well, I, one would hope because their sense of humor is fantastic. Right. Their sense of humor is to take the mickey. They'll say things like... And they'll just make noises and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, then sometimes when they're real sloshy, it'll be like, rrr, 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 and they're like, you actually didn't even say anything there. You were just making fun of me because, you know, I can't understand you. They're, they're sarky. They are. They're sarky and they're snarky. That's they're, what I love about it. They're sneaky and suspicious. Their, their tablet's not delicious. <laughs> they're Glasgow family. Um, I love them there. We're going to go there. Uh, maybe throw a milkshake against the wall. Some random act of violence I think is always good in Glasgow. You know, some, you know, kick some, kick some chips down the road or whatever. Some useless, <laughs> pathetic thing. The, 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 the main statue in the main square of Glasgow has a traffic cone on its head at all times, which is just... And if, and if you don't see it on there, later if you come by it again, There'll someone be. will have put it back up. Yeah. yeah. What they call a bollard, what we would call a cone. Um, and oh it's, my God, what did we read? Uh, it was months ago about the guy, the drunk guy on the the bus in Glasgow, and 
he was yelling at a hedgehog. Yeah. But it was he, a comb yeah, or a brush he, he, he said, on uh, the floor. Yeah. He, it was a, there was a brush laying on the floor, and he was so um, um, steamboats that he thought it was a hedgehog. And he yeah. said, get off, you wee stabby bastard. He was calling it a stabby bastard. because Yeah, and he was circling the hairbrush. Until he was informed by the riders of the bus and the driver <laughs> finally that it was nay a hedgehog. It was, in fact, a hairbrush. <laughs> which are equally dangerous, and let's be honest, that he had a point. Um, Glasgow is um, pretty wild. I got... I've told that story before. I don't have to tell it again. The shave. Oh, yes. You have told uh, that you, story. I, when, if you're going to get a shave and a haircut in Glasgow, and it's only 10 quid at this one place that I go to. Yeah, and I wonder why. Um, have a safe word. <laughs> so then the next nights will be the 4th and 5th. We're going to come back and rehearse, I guess, or travel one day. Then we're coming to London, and we're going to be at um, SEE Wembley, the arena. Um, someone, I said to someone the other day, uh, we're going to do Nightmare Before Christmas at Wembley. And they went, Wembley? And I was like, not the football stadium. That holds 80,000. How many does that hold? We saw the stones there. Yeah, we did. Um, and Jennifer had the greatest line ever. If I've told it before, I'm telling it again. We went to the after party because I worked for radio. I, we had Radio 1 tickets because I did it. I oh, had a gig on Radio 1. good tickets. Oh, yeah. And Matthew Bannister was head of Radio 1 then. And I had a very boozy lunch with him and, and Ralph and Marty, the producers. We had a little show on Radio 1 called Bits from Last Week's Radio. This is in the 90s. And um, I was only 10, 12 years old. <laughs> so he gave us tickets, and it was great. Uh, Elle McPherson was behind us. No, Elle McPherson was next to me. Oh, next to you. Behind us was Richard E. Grant. That's right. And I remember thinking when we sat down, I was like, ooh, I, I don't know if I can see that well. And then I realized who we were next to, and I thought, well, it doesn't really get better I can than see this. better than this. I can see as well as Elle McPherson can see. Exactly. And so... Um, who, by the way, her boyfriend at the time made her go get the beer. Tim Jeffries, the cad. He, I was in line behind. If you're in a stadium, don't make Elle McPherson go get the I, beer. I stood behind Elle McPherson, and she's taller than me, and uh, a, a rail. Um, very nice lass. I met her once again at um, Prince Charles 50th, was it? Right. And I said to her, hi, Elle McPherson, and she said, how strange that we should meet here. And that was it. And then she walked away. And it, I remember uh, standing with her <laughs> and George Michael that was a good at game. that event. That was and game. I was thinking, like, and they weren't even no. part of it. They were in the audience. Yeah. The st- starry little event. That I stood behind Joan Collins. Uh, and uh, she was quite s- quite small, but perfectly shaped, I have to say. George Michael was the most patient person I've ever seen because they made him move during the show. And they he moved didn't George say Michael. a word. Right. And He's I a thought, superstar. Oh, my God, you're George Michael. And then, oh, sorry. Only could in you, England. Could you move over here? We put you in the wrong seat. Only in England would they say, oh, no, that you're you're in uh, you know row S. Why would you move George Michael I, I don't when know. he represents everything that's ever been good about England, a good-looking person <laughs> with good teeth who had really lots of talent, who sang like a soul superstar. Uh, the fourth and fifth will be at Wembley Football Stadium, I was lying. Anyway, we were at the Stones, and we went to the after party, and it wasn't the most high after party. It wasn't the one with, you know, uh, rat tails of, of cocaine and Keith and Well, there's and those days that there's, like, apparently no end of number of after parties. Right. There, there's the... We were in, like, the first run. Tier, yeah. We, we were not the... A lumpen proletariat party, but we weren't the most high. And I think it was sponsored by Volkswagen. The Stones are everything is a corporate event, and it was uh, yeah. like Volkswagen presents bridges to Babylon or something <laughs> like that. I'm not kidding. And so we were in the second high, most high one, which had the Radio One people, who are slightly less important than 
And we were out on the balcony. Right. And we're out on the balcony. And Salman Rushdie came out with his police detail. It was when he was under full fatwa, which has been raised. But he was under full fatwa at that point in London. And yet he never stopped going out. Um, he went out every night. He did TV shows. He went to every restaurant. He went to every book opening. Like in the movie Bridget Jones' Diary, he literally, you couldn't shake Salmon <laughs> Rushdie. Even though it was clear that he might be assassinated anywhere he went. Yeah. And he was always with some police. Maybe on a balcony. So we're standing on the balcony, and we look over, and there's Salmon Rushdie drinking. And Jennifer says to me, turns and goes, never stand next to Salmon Rushdie at the after party on a balcony. And it... <laughs> Anyways, I've, I've dined off that good, story. Good call. Oh, my God. It's the um, funniest thing anyone's ever said. Should we talk about... Oh, One last date, three sorry. last dates. Then we'll be in Dublin because I haven't, I haven't been to Ireland in a couple of years and people are complaining um, that I might come back. <laughs> uh, we'll be in Ireland and Dublin at, on the 8th uh, at the Three Arena. This is Danny Elfman, Catherine O'Hare singing Sally. Yay. Catherine O'Hare from Schitt's Creek. Danny Elfman from every movie ever. <laughs> Because he composed uh, Dumbo this year, I think, for Tim Burton. Um, a couple of superhero pictures. Danny is a prodigious composer. A prodigious composer. And this score, by the way, I've had to hear it a lot of times because I'm in it. Um, it grows on you. I listened, it to it, I listened to it the other day again to rehearse. I was singing along to myself. And uh, I think there's elements of uh, Prokofiev. Um, a little bit of uh, uh, Tchaikovsky. There's a Peter uh -huh. and the Wolf kind of thing uh -huh. going on. Um, and, a, and a decidedly um, a Jewish motif Very to some of the... So. I wouldn't say klezmer, but like traditional Jewish mm -hmm. music. I really, it is a clever score. John Malcheri, who's the conductor for the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra and a, uh, a mentee, a mentot, <laughs> a student of uh, Leonard Bernstein is our conductor and he's fabulous and Ken Page plays Oogie Boogie yes that Ken Page oh, you know him from wonderful. Broadway um, he lives in the, in the deep Midwest and uh, he, they fly him out and he's just smashing and that's on the 8th at the 3 Arena in Dublin then for our comedy store friends who like improv and who doesn't love improv what it is is we don't have anything prepared Jennifer really? we just come out there and uh, quick as a wink <laughs> uh, we, we get a, a knob gag and a, a sub-reference to something that no one likes, and we combine <laughs> them. And then sometimes we sing about them, too, uh, kind of loud and off-key. Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, and this is no different at the Comedy Store than the Who's Live show. Uh, there's a lot of uh, sound and fury, and then we come on stage. <laughs> uh, slightly less drinking. The 11th, the Wednesday, 7.30, Comedy Store, London, Leicester Square, Richard Vranch, Lee Simpson, Josie Lawrence, Andy Smart, Neil Malarkey, wow. and me. Yeah, wow. That's the OG lineup. Wow. You could have seen this show in 94. You can see it again that, now. That's a lot of fun. Uh, so we're going to go there. Uh, so come and see us at the Comedy Store. It is a lot of fun. They let me get crazy. So they, they think I break all the rules, which I think is hilarious because the whole point, who cares about the rules? It's it's. It's England. England. I know, it's England. We, England. I know. People do spanking machines on their birthdays when they're grown-ups. No, no. Yeah, they do. Then on the 29th, we'll be at the Punchline in San Francisco. Oh, my God, the Punchline saved. I thought it was going to close. Um, and didn't you make an album about it? I did, but I'm still editing it. The 29th, will be there. Um, and that's at the Punchline for the podcast. Then the 30th and 31st for our New Year's show. Four shows. We did it last year. Did I improvise the show last year? I can't remember. I did the year before. I do a lot of improvising on that weekend because I want you to like me and think I'm clever and come back <laughs> to my show and not hear the same goddamn jokes from 2014. Um, and so there's that. And then we're back on the road with Who's Line next year. You can go to whoslive.com 
and you will find us because we start up again in January. I think we have a gig in uh, Oroville, which means gold town. And then we get underway in earnest in February uh, with the boys again. And that's with Ryan Stiles. And then we're going to play Santa Rosa, San Rafael, San Jose, Coquitlam, um, Vancouver, Richmond, Atlanta, Charlotte, Dallas, Westbury, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Ottawa. We're going to go on a tour in um, uh, Canada in the summer. That's not scheduled yet. We're looking at other things. I can't say it. It'll jinx it. Anyway, <laughs> please take over. Oh, um, so we were talking last time about Robert Freeman, the photographer who did right? the Beatles' uh, first iconic album covers. With no lighting. With no lighting and, and apparently a day's notice. Well, Terry O'Neill, the photographer, just passed away. He was 81. He has so many amazing images. Um, but I didn't know that he started out as a jazz drummer. And uh, one of his earliest jobs was as a staff photographer for a tabloid. And because of his age and his background as a musician, they asked him if he would go do this errand to take a portrait, well, it turned out it was the Beatles. Really? Uh-huh. He said, I was asked to go down to Abbey Road and, I t- and to take a few portraits of this new band. Wow. I didn't know how to work with a group, but because I was a musician myself and the youngest on the staff by a decade, I was always the one they'd ask. I took the four young lads outside for better light. That portrait ran in the papers the next day and the paper sold out. I was only 20. It was obvious that John was the one with the personality, so I put him in front. Wow. (laughs) And he... He has so many amazing... He was younger than the Beatles. Yes. He, he has so many... Well, maybe the same age as George. Yeah, he was the same age. Um, the, I, I think of his uh, photo of Brigitte Bardot, where she's smoking. There's photos of Mick Jagger wearing a parka. Mm-hmm. Um, he said... Uh, he gave an interview just a couple of months ago. And oh, he he's said, astonishing. The perfectionist in me always left me thinking I could have taken a better shot... But now when I look at photos of all the icons I've shot, like Mandela, the memories come flooding back, and I think, yeah, I did all right. Yeah, just a little. <laughs> he had that picture of uh, David Bowie and Elizabeth Taylor where she's wearing oh, a hat, and she's holding a, the cigarette up to his mouth. So he told a story about that just recently. Because they look real intimate in that photo. She's did got you, her arm Did you read that no. today? Well, he said that David Bowie was hours late to that shoot and elizabeth taylor was considering giving him a role and and bowie showed up really late and uh terry o'neill said he had coke for breakfast Uh so he had rails of coke for breakfast showed up four hours late wow and so was all he he tried to snuggle up to elizabeth taylor to uh, warm her up and by the end of the shoot, they were uh, they looked like they were having a fling. Oh yeah, than, it very much looks like they're but, having an affair. As Terry O'Neill said, he didn't get the part. Yeah. So Elizabeth Taylor didn't quite forgive him for that. Uh, and nor should she. Um, awesomely, he took that picture of Faye Dunaway oh right after God. she won the Oscar for Network, where she's sitting at the pool at the Beverly Hills Hotel, looking with, so glamorous. And and she's got little. Uh, gold sandals on and um 
high heeled sandals and uh, uh, there's like a pot of tea on the table mm-hmm. and she, there's papers all around she, her expression's like oh my god I can't believe I won the Oscar I've been up all night what a hassle and it's like there's telegrams and newspapers everywhere Terry O'Neill and Faye Dunaway were married for uh, 12 years I think I'm but, so close on that <laughs> but, but yeah he, you know just his Michael Caine photos you know this is going to sound really... Are the, the Michael Caine photos that I always think of when I think of Michael Caine. The one with Caine. the glasses where he's looking at the... the right. There, there are so many of his... Swinging 60s London, they said. Yes. There it is. There's the picture. Is There's a lighter, an Oscar... They're black strappy sandals. They're black strappy sandals, you're right. And with little silver thingies. Uh, uh, and she's so skinny, she kind of melts away to the background. She's sitting on a, a chaise, like a, seat, a chair chaise lounge, and... What is that? A, what would you call it? A, it's a like dressing a Walter gown? Lamb uh, uh, patio chair. Yeah. And a satin, a silk satin dressing gown. And uh, newspapers just scattered all around. And the and Oscar. Obviously at, staged, but the, yeah, fantastic. The, the lighter and the Oscar at the table, and she's gazing past it. It's just smashing. It's so glamorous. Uh, there they are. There he is with his pompadour, and there she is smirking. He also did, uh, Elton John has a new uh, autobiography. Right, he did The Stones. Um, Elton John has a new autobiography. He did the that photo, that album cover. And uh, all those crazy, when Elton John did Dodger Stadium yeah. and was out of his mind, uh, Terry O'Neill did all the photos for that shoot. It's he a, was the guy that it, was always there. And he always seemed groovy. He seemed like he should be there. When you saw photos of yeah. him, you were like, oh, right. He, he no, he fit in. in. Well, because I think being a musician turned photographer, he was a little groovier than if he'd... Like you said, he was also 10 years younger than everyone at all the places he was working as a photojournalist. Yeah. Uh, here's something to add to my particular brand of Shallow. When I think of restaurants that have pictures of uh, celebrities in them, uh, your Barney Greengrass, your those kind of uh, New Yorky type restaurants. It's always his photos. It's always his Mick Jagger. It's yes. always his Beatles. It's uh, yes. it's always his stars. Uh, not that uh, um, they don't have the. Uh, well, uh, well, there are so many. There's David Bailey. There's right. Terry Donovan. And Terry Donovan and David Bailey. And who's the one I'm trying to think of? That did the, the, did the Chris Isaac uh, movie? The Bruce. Weber. Yeah. I mean, there's always but those he's ones. But he's a later. Annie Leibovitz. Yeah, they're the swinging 60s ones. Yeah. Um, these are the guys that were the basis for Blow Up, the yeah. Antonioni film. Where a swinging 60s photographer gets embroiled in what he believes is he's witnessed a murder. Oh, my God. It's the, it's a really groovy movie. It has the Yardbirds in the middle of it and a Herbie, and Hancock, Herbie Hancock score. Uh, Terry O'Neill is swinging in the heavens, and I hope um, that the composition in the heavens is to his liking. Another weird thing is he said that when he took pictures of uh, photos of Queen Elizabeth, he didn't know what to do with her or say to her. So he told her horse racing jokes. Really? Yes. Well, that's what you would do with Queen Elizabeth. She likes to ride a horse. And if you want to ride. Really? Really? Ride a white horse. I'm going to skip these and I'm going to go to something more fun. Vera Clemente is a... um, Swirling in the vast green expanse of the heavens. Vera Clemente um, was, of course, notably a social activist uh, 
who ran um, uh, 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 many charities in Pittsburgh and Puerto Rico. Um, and she was the head of the Roberto Clemente Foundation. She had her own degree and had gone to college. Um, raised three boys. I, I, I believe I read today she graduated head of her class. Yeah, she's an astonishing individual and gorgeous, by the way. Oh if you my look God, up pictures, the couple are so gorgeous. So her husband, Roberto, was a, a star baseball player for the Pittsburgh Pirates. He started in the 50s. And when I was 13, he was a humanitarian and there was a terrible earthquake in Managua, Nicaragua. And Roberto, being the um, civic-minded humanitarian that he was, um, got a whole bunch of uh, supplies together to bring uh, to Managua and um, was ill-advisedly got aboard a terribly loaded plane in Puerto Rico, which crashed into the ocean quite soon after it took off. And so from Puerto Ricans we've spoken to on that night, people went down to the shore Mm -hmm. and kept vigil. It was a terrible, terrible night for Puerto Rican history because he was not only a star, the Pirates won the World Series the year before that, and he had been the MVP of the World Series. So he had been on national television and was in everyone's consciousness. And by the way, he was 39 or 40. Mm-hmm. He was toward the end of the career. And uh, uh, to have that giant last splash, to hit two home runs in the World Series, everybody got to see how he played with the flair and how good looking he was and how poised and charismatic and how well-spoken. And then... He'd been around. On top of it, he was a humanitarian. Right. He'd been around for 20 years, but he'd also been more outspoken than some of my favorite stars. Uh, For instance, Willie Mays and Willie McCovey, who let the business do the talking. Whereas Clemente was decidedly, and I don't think I'm out of school for saying this, you might call him uh, the Jackie Robinson of Latin players, in so much as he came up mm, eight years after Robinson, but had to bear the brunt of that because he was a superstar. Well, Bob Kendrick always talks about him at yeah. the Negro League Museum. Well, Roberto Clemente is, is a part of the heritage of uh, Caribbean baseball, and Caribbean baseball is completely intertwined with Negro League baseball. And um, there's so many stars that played in both. Uh, 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 stars from Latin America coming to the Negro Leagues, Negro League stars going to the uh, Caribbean Leagues and South American and Central American Leagues. And then finally when... There had been a couple of Cubans, in, to be fair. In, in Major League Baseball, they let light-skinned Cubans in. There was one named Dolph Luque and another named uh, Armando Marsan. Um, Dolph Luque starred with some distinction in the 20s, but he didn't look... Mm-hmm. He didn't have brown skin. Mm-hmm. And... I believe they even advertised them as purest Castilian soap and stuff. Oh, my God. oh no kidding. So finally, when they let um, Latin players play, of course, oh, gee whiz, just like when you finally let black people play, um, it turns out there was a bunch of superstars. And when I was little on my team, the Giants, Tito Fuentes, Juan Marichal, uh, Jesus Alou, mm-hmm. um, uh, Elias Sosa, and then on the Pittsburgh Pirates, had Manny Sanguin, he caught for them, and um, Roberto Clemente. There Clemeni. were several Alus. Oh, there was all the Alus. There was Felipe, <laughs> who later managed the Giants, but he wasn't playing for him when I... Felipe, Jesus, and um, Matty. Uh, we called him Matty. I, I'm sure Mateo is his <laughs> name. Uh, he went on to play with the Pirates, too, and he played with Clemente. And um, Felipe went on to play with the Braves, and then came back and managed the Giants. In any case, Roberto Clemente was a superb player. And I saw him play, and that's the thing. All this isn't a million years ago. I was 13 when he died, and I went to hundreds of baseball games with my dad between the age of 7 and 
Well, what a heavy burden for her. And then she was uh, the steward of the foundation, the Roberto Clemente Ooh. Foundation, and she raised their three sons. And she was also working as an ambassador for uh, Major League Baseball on behalf of him. Yeah. The owner today said that. And it, um, she said, uh, Vera was an amazing ambassador for the Pirates organization, our city, the game of baseball, and their beloved Puerto Rico. There's no telling how strong she was. She was 33 and had three boys um, when the terrible night happened. She never married again, but she carried on in exactly the way Roberto Clemente uh, and her mm -hmm. had always carried on. And this is a famous quote from Clemente, but I'm going to read it anyway. And by the way, I had trouble finding any quotes from Vera. There's one from Roberto. There's pages of them from Roberto. Anytime you have an opportunity to make a difference in this world and you don't, then you're wasting your time on earth. And I don't think uh, Vera Clemente well, there, did there at all. Well, there was that uh, Pittsburgh uh, Gazette obituary mm. of her uh, where there's some, some quotes, and Al Oliver is quoted. I'm going to read you the Al Oliver quote right now. We met Reverend Al Oliver, who, when I interviewed him three years ago at the Negro Leagues, the first one we got to do, the Negro Leagues Hall of Game induction that Bob Kendrick invited us to do, um, I brought a whole bunch of baseball cards for Al Oliver. I, <laughs> I, and these were from my collection. I didn't go online and buy them. I have a box of baseball cards. Of course I do. And it's right from the period when he was huge. And I think I had one for each team. I think I had one for the Expos, one for the Phillies. And um, I was intimidated because he's a big he's guy. He's a serious individual. Yeah, he's gigantic, one thing. He played first base, and his name was Scoop. I remember I got him a, a water at the end of the night. It was really hot. Mm. And and he just looked at me and said, what took you so long? Yep. And I thought, oh, I'm, so I'm sorry, yep. Mr. Oliver. Yeah. He's from uh, uh, the same town in Ohio as Branch Rickey, which is escaping me right now. And he mentioned that in his induction. He talked about being from the town that Branch Rickey's from. Branch Rickey was the general manager, the white general manager, that signed Jackie Robinson to a professional contract in 1946. Then I, uh, at lunch, of course, inundated him with cards, and he was really, really nice about it. And he was eating a big old plate of barbecue, we all were. And I came over to him and I said, I remember when you were traded from the Giants to the Phils in 1984 during a Philly series and the first game you played with the Giants and then you went, packed up your stuff and walked across the field to the other clubhouse and opened up as a Philly and he was like, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> Portsmouth, Ohio, is it? Yeah. Um, thank you, Jennifer. Portsmouth, Ohio. So I asked him, like I asked Maury Wills about Jackie. But Maury Wills didn't play with Jackie, but he knew Jackie quite well. And Jackie, you know, helped him. Uh, I asked Al Oliver about Clemente, and he, his whole, not about Stargell, but Clemente, you remember, and he, mm -hmm. he changed, and he was like, Roberto Clemente taught me everything about being a, a person, what baseball, you know, how to approach things. And he wrote, God has called Vera Clemente home, who kept her family together under tragic um times one who carried herself well with dignity may you rest in peace as you deserve thanks for being part of my life i know now better than ever why roberto married you um reverend al oliver uh is a serious individual and uh, uh he was a superb baseball player vera clemeni is uh, swirling in the heavens and doing all the good that she did here on earth she was a balm uh to us all and a, a wonderful kind of spirit to have in your life i think her sons really Mm -hmm. really felt that what the one said and say, I was proud to be the son of Roberto, but I was really excited to be the exactly. son of Vera. Um, 
Do you want? Let's. Yeah, I don't want to go into all this Holocaust and anti-Semitic shit here. Uh, no. But, <laughs> wow. Um, do you want to end with the fact that uh, Facebook sponsored a dinner for Kavanaugh? Also, Facebook. But uh, so Facebook sponsored a dinner for Kavanaugh with the Federalist Society, and yet this weekend also Christine Blasey Ford Sunday night got the Roger Baldwin Courage Award at the ACLU event um, Bill of Rights dinner in Southern California. Yep, she did. And uh, during that um, terrible event that they sponsored to celebrate Kavanaugh, the protesters that were outside ran her testimony constantly. Right, the Demand Justice Group had a huge... Uh, they had a truck with her her testimony running well, so that people, when they were headed into the dinner, had to watch that. Yeah, fantastic. Christine Blasey Ford is a, a, a truth teller like uh, Ms. Yovanovitch, like Ms. Hill, uh-huh. um, like some, oh, like uh, who's uh, Jennifer, I can't think of her last Williams. name. Williams, who's uh, going to uh, tell the truth this week. Um, remember to look at everything um, with some practicality. The information that you receive over the Internet your Facebook and your Twitter, you need to kind of consider sources and agendas mm-hmm. all the time. Be discerning. But not and with Jennifer hopeful. and I. Let be, it just wash over you. Be hopeful because the tide is turning. Oh, the tide is so turning. Uh, we're winning and we're winning and there's so much winning that I want to go to Walter Reed and have a partial physical. <laughs> On behalf of Jennifer, I'm going to speak for her now. Really? No. <laughs> You've been the smartest crowd in the world. I've been the smartest man in the world. Jennifer's been the smartest woman in the world. May every bell that rings for you be a cool papa bell. May every truth you find be a sojourner truth. May every rich well be an Ida B. Wells. May every bog you cross be a Grace Lee Boggs. If you have to go to Ross Dress for Less, make sure it's Betsy Ross. Really? If you're going to eat a Jordan Almond, make sure it's a Barbara Jordan Almond. No. And if you have to buy Bonds, make sure they're Bobby Bonds. I wish you nothing but peace and love. Even in Central Ohio. Isaac Hayes. By the way, we used to dance to this on 45 when I was in junior school. Yeah, right.